This is Let's Talk About from Style Canada. And let me tell you, we're talking. Let's face it, we talk a lot. We talk about things we love, hot topics, and anything in between. But what about the things we don't talk about? What about the things we want to know but don't know how to ask? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Let's expand our horizons. Let's talk about it. Hi, all, and welcome. This week, we're talking about women's equality with Komal Menez. Komal is a founder of Carcevia Co., a company focused on building individual and societal resilience through training programs, media production, and investing. Through this work, she creates powerful experiences and conversations, actively playing the role of interviewer, educator, investor, and champion for women worldwide. As a reward for this work, she was named to Oprah's Super Soul 100 list. Komal also hosts a talk show, Lessons Learned, where she uses her experiences as a business owner and journalist to tackle rich conversations and, con- and connect with both her guests and audience. A major highlight in her career was interviewing First Lady Michelle Obama on her Canadian stadium tour. What an incredible experience that must have been. She works to train women to be to have a better understanding of their own strengths and inherent capacity as they find their purpose and transform the systems that we live in and that innately shape us. Kamal, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I feel like there's so much in that bio and reading up on all of your work, I was almost overwhelmed of where to start. (laughs) I figured we could start just hearing a little bit about your story in your own words. And if you want to share kind of where you've grown up, uh, a little of a few of the high points, maybe that's a nice place to start the conversation. Absolutely. So I was born and raised in Grand Prairie, Alberta, a small city in Northern Alberta. And it was a really impactful and important place for me to grow up. My my parents uh, immigrated to Canada, my dad, in 1974, um, and he was a mechanic working at a local pulp mill. And eventually him and my uncle would um, build enough savings for them to buy their own logging truck and then eventually uh, buy a fleet of trucks. And so growing up in a northern rural community, I was exposed to a lot. And I was also, my family, um, a small proponent of people of color in the community. And so I had this really rich upbringing where I was able to explore my identity safely with my family and with my local community who um, my my faith is uh, Sikhi, so Sikhism, um, and safely explore that in our in our local temple, um, while also being exposed to predominantly white culture at, at school. And so it was this constant reckoning with who am I, what's my identity? Um, and as I grew up, I realized that what connects us most are stories. Um, and so that led me to studying and pursuing journalism in my undergrad and eventually going into documentary film. And from there, uh, I ended up joining in the space of entrepreneurship and women investing, kind of taking that enthusiasm and energy that my father showed me growing up in entrepreneurship and and applying that to my own life and my own work. And I started a production company when I was 23, uh, produced a documentary film, Dream Girl, that you uh, mentioned that premiered at the Obama White House, as you shared. Um, And from there, just continued to proliferate and build and invest in stories that matter and companies that are women-led. And now I train folks on building their resiliency and improving their mental health after I faced a lot of illness and and hardship in my 20s. 
Yeah, that's a lot for your age. <laughs> 31 going on 55. <laughs> I know, I'm like, where should I start? How, how do we build this all in? But I think we covered a lot of points there. You, you did that phenomenal, phenomenally. And I love that you, I love that you said that word storyteller, because that was, as I was going through everything you've done, that seemed to be the one string for me was that you were a storyteller for women. And I guess, you know, physically we see that or very, um, tactically you see that in the documentary dream girl. Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience? Absolutely. So it actually, the way that I got engaged with dream girl was a Kickstarter campaign landed in my inbox, uh, via an online entrepreneur, Marie Forleo. And when I saw the video, the, the trailer for that Kickstarter campaign, I was hooked. It was back in 2014. It was in the early days of the girl boss era and sort of that first wave of, you know, women's entrepreneurship coming to the forefront, which now we look back on and see, you know, certain problems with how things were framed and, and we've evolved since then. But we were a part of that initial wave of storytelling around women in business. And we were... I ended up seeing this Kickstarter trailer and deciding I need to find a way to be a part of this thing. How can I support? I was doing my own production company at the time. I had access to a bunch of equipment that I had had built up over the years. And so I reached out to the director and the lead on the Kickstarter, Erin Bagwell, and I pitched her to have me come join her on set in New York City to support how they were producing and also to bring me on board uh, to support the growth of the documentary. Um, And I remember I was in Naples, Italy when I saw it and it was like midnight for me, 6 p.m. for her and the Wi-Fi was cutting out. We were trying to do a Skype call. And by the end of it, um, we decided we'd meet up in New York uh, where she lived uh, shortly after. And we ended up meeting in Buffalo, her hometown after that. But from there, it just kind of it was this rocket ship that we were on for two to three years of pre-production, production, production, um, post-production, and then our touring with the film. And it was a really impactful experience. We, at the time as well, representation in media was a really important conversation, which it continues to be today. And four of the five main characters in the film who we profile in the documentary are women of color. And at the time, that was something that was really important. important and it's still important, but it was something that was so powerful to see on screen. These women Mm -hmm. who were really owning and building in various industries from various backgrounds. And the film has now been seen by tens of thousands around the world. And the day after the 2016 election, we released the film for free for a week and it got seen thousands of times globally that week. And it's just this beautiful collection of stories that can't you can't help but watch it and feel inspired and uplifted with the dreams that you have within you. So that's dream girl. That's so amazing. I mean, I, I love this idea of, I think it's, I think the world is just about storytelling though. Now, don't you like, I mean, we're so consumed with sharing this content in media, but if you're doing it right, it's sharing a story ahead of, you're kind of a bit of ahead of your time in that aspect maybe, but I feel like that word has just become such a buzz, maybe even a buzzword now, storytelling, fair to say, but very interesting that, and at such a, you started this media, the production side of things at the age of 23, right? What was the vision there? Like at 23, I feel like I, I didn't know what was next (laughs) for me, but you're starting a production company. So 
what was the vision? You know, I have a lot of, I surround myself with a lot of young folks. And so uh, there's a couple members on my team who are like 23, 24. And I see their enthusiasm and I see their energy and Gen Z, like there's just a magic to their minds and how they see creative and how they see stories. Um, And I think back to how I was at that age. And I actually, the day I was fired from a job was the day that I started Comedia, which was my first production company. And it was a really important time for me because I had just been through two jobs that I didn't, I felt underemployed. Like I felt like my enthusiasm, my passion, my capacity to learn and do, it was just not being maximized or used utilized. Um, and I was just being underutilized. And so when I got fired, it was kind of like, I'm glad that that happened because I don't think I would have left. Um, and it needed to happen because it, it was soul crushing for me, the role that I was in. And when I think of the young people on my team now and how much I I hope I can hold space for them, their growth, their capacity, their creativity. Um, That's what starting my own business allowed me to do at 23 is now, Mm -hmm. you know, eight years later, being able to hold space and actually employ folks, young folks in the way that I wish I could have been employed and the way that I wish I could have been treated in the workplace. Um, So it was really interesting at the time. I mean, it started with small contracts of, of, doing video productions for local nonprofits and small businesses and social enterprises. Um, and after about 18 months of that dream girl is kind of came into my, into my world. Um, and the rest is sort of history without being too cheesy there. <laughs> yeah, Not fully written history, but history. It's interesting that you mentioned that age. And I do think, I think you use the word magic too. I do think there is this sense at that age. And I think back to myself at that age that you can really take on anything and do anything. And so it is a time where creativity is at an all time high. So it makes sense that that would be around that age for you. And then, you know, you like being 31, I'm like, my joints hurt. Like I need more (laughs) sleep. I could pull all nighters. Like it was just a different, a different time. Yeah. It's a different time to be like, to see that energy and enthusiasm and to also like, you know, vicariously bring that back into my life. (laughs) And also you shared that you were also sick in your twenties and Mm -hmm. there's like, it really can take such a toll on your body when you face that at a young age. And how old were you? Was it 26? How old were you when you had your cancer diagnosis? So I was diagnosed uh, in March, 2016. So I would have been 26 at the time. Yeah. 26. Okay. Yeah. So what it, you know, it's interesting because I was 21 and so I was still in school. So I had a little bit of structure, but I was actually just having a conversation the other day. It's like your twenties and thirties. I don't know if you ever read that book called your, the defining decade, but so much happens in this book was about your twenties being your defining decade, but realistically your twenties, I think thirties, maybe even forties, these are all now defining decades, but so much is happening to you then, right? Like you're finishing school. You were, you had a production company, you, you know, you're, it's this time where you're trying to become independent, but then cancer like cripples that independency. What, what was that journey like for you? I uh, recently read a memoir, um, I can't even remember the name of it now, but it's by a woman, Suleika Jawad, and she talks about her cancer journey. Um, And, you know, when when you're diagnosed with cancer, there's like a broad spectrum of cancers. And so in the book, she talks about like when it's surgery, specifically without chemo radiation, it's cancer light. And so my experience was this like diagnosis 
not requiring radiation or chemo because radiation would exacerbate the cancer and just having not just, but two excision surgeries at, in that year. Um, but there was, for me, this concept of cancer light was really interesting because a friend of mine was diagnosed with thyroid cancer almost simultaneously as I was um, diagnosed with my skin cancer. And we talked about it and it's like, there is this feeling that you have where you're just like, it's like survivor's guilt mixed with this isn't that bad. But then it's also like, no, I have cancer. <laughs> like this sucks. Yeah. I don't, I don't agree with that term cancer light at all. Cause I feel like I see so many women that have had different types of cancer and no matter what that word has you face your mortality in a way, like no matter if it's cancer light, which I've never heard before. So that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm passing in the book and yeah. it was just, I caught on to it because I think it was when I was diagnosed at 26, I needed to diminish the diagnosis because of what was happening in our life at the time. Like I was diagnosed the same okay. month we were named to Oprah Super Soul 100. While we're on the subject of women supporting women, we want to tell you a bit about our new favorite woman-run brand, Diva International, best known for their incredible product, the Diva Cup. The Diva Cup is the top-selling menstrual cup brand worldwide with over 750,000 five-star reviews on Amazon and is only growing. Check out our episode with CEO and founder, Kareen Chambers-Sini, where we break down all things period and why the Diva Cup revolutionized the menstrual product industry. To keep up with the latest from Diva, follow at the Diva Cup and Kareen herself at Kareen Diva Cup. Um, we were in LA two weeks after my diagnosis or a week after my diagnosis with like Ava DuVernay was standing behind me and, you know, Amanda Steinberg was there and like all of these incredible uh, Zendaya was there. Like it was just this breathtaking moment in my life of this highest high and then undercut by my mortality, like you said. And I think it was almost a coping mechanism to yeah. say, this isn't that bad, just keep going. This isn't that bad, just keep going. It's yeah. interesting. I want to kind of dive into that a little bit because I know you do a lot of work on resiliency. And I wonder sometimes for myself, like, and I'm sure a lot of people that have experienced cancer, do you almost, is part of how you build that resiliency, compartmentalizing it, do you think? Like, I don't know what that is, but you're right. It's almost like this, okay, but this is going on and this is going on. So I have to just kind of keep this smaller. And so for me, keeping it smaller allowed me more mental space to do other things, mm -hmm. even though it probably shouldn't have been as small as I kept it sometimes. Is that tied into your resiliency somewhere or am I just pulling out strings to you? <laughs> no, not at all. I think that coping mechanisms do, like help develop the resiliency. Um, okay. And I think when people experience trauma and diagnosis and illness, you can't help but compartmentalize because the feelings are so big and the reality of what you're facing is so big. Mm -hmm. And for some work becomes also a coping mechanism. There's mm -hmm. someone who I worked with in the past and she was diagnosed with uh, lymphoma and she never told anyone that she worked with and she was running a startup. And so 
in my experience, sharing and ex- like ex- expressing the storytelling around your diagnosis with people you trust and care about. For me, I did it quite publicly on on my blog at the time um, and on social media because it was it, that's just a release, positive release for me. When I was younger, the boundaries were a little bit more blurred. Now I understand like the role mm-hmm. that social plays in my life and share storytelling mm-hmm. as things happen is, is a part of that mechanism for me. But when it comes to like that resiliency angle, it's really building the self-awareness to know, is this harming me? Is me keeping this being harmful? Um, is this, or is this serving me? Is this actually something that I need right now in order to persevere through this period of things? Mm-hmm. And if it's making you more rigid, if it's making you more fragile because you feel shame around saying it aloud or the shame around how it's impacting your body or the shame around being so young and having something like this or the fear that like the fear is huge. And when we keep that to ourselves, it can actually impact our immune system, the stress of it. And so sometimes the the sharing as part of the coping can help us become more resilient, but I never mm-hmm. want to shame someone for the way that they feel they have to persevere through, th- through something hard. Um, mm-hmm. And at the time, it becomes this like double-edged sword because my co-founder at the time, I look back and I realized I was experiencing gaslighting um, to the point where they wrote an article for Fortune about my cancer diagnosis and how it impacted them negatively. Oh, okay, I'll have to look up that article. <laughs> it was, and and I I just remember feeling so diminished in my identity during that time because my diagnosis was an inconvenience for the mission we were working on. And so I did, I I tucked it away. I put it in a back corner. Um, And I realized now like that was wildly unhealthy for me. Um, So it really, it's circumstantial, but also like Mm -hmm. hindsight is 2020. You can glean a lot and learn a lot from, especially when you're 26 and 21, like, right. I was just going to say, you're not, yeah. You're not 50, you know, 50 and you've lived your whole life and you know how to, not your whole life, I shouldn't say that, but you've lived a part of your life and know how to kind of process information. You're 26, like you're, be- you know, you're just figuring out who you are. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I would say like, be, be where you're at, but just be mindful of the toxicity that can come both from people around you and from sometimes what you feel like when you're a burden to others, because a lot of the time the people who really love you want to support you and hear what you have to say and what that experience is like for you. Mm -hmm. Gosh, what an interesting time to be going through that. Like you mentioned, you know, with Oprah and the super soul Sunday, like all of that happening at once, gosh, that, that might've been, must've been a lot of emotion, but you, you've, (laughs) (laughs) I'm tired thinking of it. It was the same (laughs) month we premiered at the Obama White House that May was my first surgery. The day at the White House was my first pain-free day. Like it was just this, I said to Oprah, when I saw her, I said, you know, I have this cancer diagnosis, but I know what's going to heal me. This community, this work, and this impact is going to, that is not what's going to heal you, young me, like young Padawan. That was not it. Taking (laughs) care of yourself, setting boundaries and focusing on your health and well-being. That's what saved you. (laughs) That's what helped you. But like, arguably it might've like mentally, right? Like maybe it gave you something else to focus, but you're right. Yeah. (laughs) In meeting all these amazing women that, that you have had this, you know, this career so far that's put you in contact with them. Is there a specific kind of like trait or characteristic that they all share that you could like pinpoint that, you know, a lot of them have had? 
It's deep empathy for me. Yeah. When I imagine being on stage with Michelle Obama and her vulnerability in discussing the grief around losing her dad to MS and losing her best friend to cancer at a young age and how that led her to leaving law and realizing that there was so much more life Um, or Oprah and the depth and empathy. Like part of the reason everyone feels like Oprah is their best friend is because of the level of empathy and the space she holds for people. Um, to just truly be their full selves. And the only way that I know humanly possible to do that for other people um, is if you're like my husband and just born with this empathy muscle that just is so present. And that's not just birth. It's obviously parenting. And and he, my in-laws are just such loving, incredible people. But the other side of that is a lot of life experience and facing and enduring and overcoming a lot of difficulty and Mm -hmm. being open to the stories and experiences of others. And, you know, mining your life experience for lessons learned and ways to pay it forward. So empathy would be that through line for me of like, you know, the now over a hundred people that I've been able to interview over the last few years. The one, like the moments of most clarity in people's lives come from difficulty or seeing someone they love go through something hard and it deepens mm-hmm. that, that empathy within them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy that you touched on experience. Do you ever think, cause when I think of my cancer experience, I think in a way I'm grateful I had it young because I think that it gave me that chance to develop empathy at a younger age versus me. Do you feel similar to that or? I do. I think that, yeah. you know, when I look at 26 to 28 for me or 29, like after cancer, I was hit with a neurological illness and and one of my surgeries was really traumatic and I suffered from PTSD after it. And so it was like one domino of many over three or four years, you know, surgeries and all the things. But I I feel sad sometimes thinking about those three years that were taken from me um, Mm -hmm. and my career growth and all these things, you know, to be out in the world and doing all the things. However, the the quality of person I am today is directly linked with the amount of pain and suffering I experienced in those three years and the love, belonging and community that that showed up for me. Um, mm-hmm. And it really informed like how I lead my team, how the type of friend that I am, the type of mother I want to become, the type of partner I am, the way that I appreciate small things, you know living in New York and now living in the countryside outside of Ottawa, there's just a different appreciation for the things that heal us and the things that mm-hmm. make us feel good. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I feel like it really, it deepens your understanding about life tenfold. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something you would like necessarily wish for, but looking back, if you can pull a positive, it's that, it's that for sure. Can you tell us a little more about the work you're doing now then, um, because I know that there's a lot there when it comes to, obviously, you know, where this will air during women's equality on women's equality day and near that time. So I know that you're doing a lot in that space too, and learning a lot. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. My experience with dream girl was <laughs> both really good and really bad all at once. As I shared, my experience with my co-founder was quite toxic. The stories that we were telling were so impactful and powerful. So the definition of probably that three years of my life are like highest of highs and lowest of lows. And it planted the seeds for everything I would create and be doing right now. So 
my, the programs that I teach around building resilience, around getting organized, uh, leveraging planning and supporting our mental health and well-being um, and teaching people these things that we should be taught in traditional education systems of how do you take care of your beautiful mind and your incredible body and how do you take care of the relationships in your life? How do you redefine your relationship to work and well-being? How do you believe in yourself from a research perspective? These things that I I wish I would have had when I crashed and burned in 2017, when my neurological illness hit and I had to move back from New York back to Canada and start from scratch. I looked around and there was nothing for women like me, for a South Asian woman who was wildly ambitious, but who just happened to not have full cognitive function at that time. Whatever that deficit is for people, for me, it was illness. It can be coming out of burnout. It can be coming out of a really toxic work environment. It can be just trying to like rebuild your life after transition. I knew that there was a gap here. And the, the things that supported me, I, I just wrote and wrote and wrote about. And then I started to study about it. And the interviews that I was doing with people validated it. And I was like, there's a curriculum here. There's something here that can be taught. And so now I teach those programs <laughs> to help people both through positive transitions in their life, gaining more success and well-being in their life, or coming through difficult times and transitions. So my program, The Next Right Step, is an eight-week masterclass in resilience and planning and organizing. Um, helping people protect their well-being. And then Your Best Year is my annual year planning community where I get to year plan with some really phenomenal humans and help them stay uh, on track with the goals that they're planning in a holistic way that includes their well-being. And then my talk show Lessons Learned is where I just get to talk to the people that I adore and get to learn so much from and continue teaching these concepts around resiliency, around living a good life. Um, mm -hmm. It's personal development, but it's intersectional because I've been in spaces in personal development that are just so white and exclusive and I never belonged. And so this is where I hope more people feel they belong as they mm -hmm. try and grow personally and improve themselves and their lives and well-being. I feel like as you're talking, I'm like ready to sign up for something. <laughs> well, I think, well, let's, we've had this full like year plus at this point, right. Yeah. Of, of inner reflection and, you know, lo looking inside and looking at what's important. And for me, I think traditional therapy is interesting, but I would would probably gravitate to something a little more like what you do. So I think that there's, there's a big segment of the population that probably does. And that's why you're successful at what you do. So it's just, it's interesting to, to hear it from you versus um, just, you know, poking around on a website and, and things I like love that. My therapist, I see her every Friday. She knows that Friday is takeout night for us. We do time every <laughs> Friday. We play card games. She has a beautiful space in my life, but healing with community and creating space for your mental health and well-being in a community of people who are values aligned with you. Like mm -hmm. there is nothing like, like it's magic. It takes me back to my heritage and my roots of being a South Asian person that is very community oriented and where community sharing and collective storytelling is a form of healing and support. Absolutely. And imagine just growing with this community year after year and future politicians, future industry leaders, future media leaders, like mm -hmm. we all get to be connected and, and understand what it means to live a good life together. Mm -hmm. 
it's that peer support, right? And you're right there. There's still a space for, for the therapy. Absolutely. They're different things. They can't be compared, yes. but I, I feel like as you're talking, I'm like, okay, this is like, this is my well, jam here. Fall. <laughs> because this is airing in the summer. We we're doing a spring cohort that starts in May, but I do it twice a year, every spring and every fall. And it's okay, great. a really powerful community of humans. This spring, while we were celebrating Sustainability Month, one of our partners was hitting the ground running. While Diva International has always been a sustainable alternative to traditional disposable menstrual products, this past spring, Diva International launched a partnership with TerraCycle to launch Diva Recycles. Diva Cup users are now able to fully recycle their Diva Cups and Diva Wipes packaging. Not only is their product revolutionary, the Diva Cup is also the only menstrual cup in North America to have a recycling program. For more information on the program and more, check out their website, divacup.com backslash diva recycles. Who I want everyone to be best friends with because they're pretty incredible people. (laughs) How many people participate in this? So every cohort is growing. So our first cohort in 2020 was 40 people. We're anticipating about 100 people in this cohort and potentially doubling for the fall. So Wow. We're going to see what the perfect like amount is for us to do this work together. Um, But we do breakout rooms. So you get to meet people from around the world and it's just, it's my favorite thing to do. And I get to do it. So interesting. Yeah. I can see why it is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all done virtually. I'm assuming it is. And you know, we'll do some IRL stuff because I, I just, I love hosting live events and it's my favorite thing. And pre-pandemic, we were about to go on a North America tour with the talk show. We were going to hit eight North American cities. Um, And then a week before we had to cancel everything, a week before our Toronto stop, such is life. But now I've learned how to create really, really impactful community online and we'll take it IRL once we are all vaccinated which I think yes. when we're listening to this, we'll be closer to that reality. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> or we're going to cross the border and do it one or the other. <laughs> well, I know that you, so obviously you have this whole amazing piece of, of your business in your life, but then you also, you know, help um, women entrepreneurs and some funding there. What, and I think, you know, being Women's Equality Day, I think funding for women run businesses is, is quite a big issue. So what kind of, what do you look for in a business that you're investing in? How did you get started in that space? Dream Girl was actually my bridge to, to doing this. Um, and okay. simultaneously, while we were creating Dream Girl, um, I took a loan from my my father, who, as I shared, is an entrepreneur, um, and I invested in a friend's marijuana company very early on back in like 2014, 2015. So it was pre um legalization Legalization. and medical was happening. So Mm -hmm. that investment um, for me in my mid to late twenties, when, when it IPO'd, it IPO'd the month after my neurological illness hit. So that cat, like that investment, that growth in my portfolio allowed me to take a year off to recover and heal. Um, And it's also enabled me to now invest in over a a dozen companies, majority of which are, are women led. And it's been, so rewarding. The way that I choose investments though is very intuitive and is based on the founder. Um, there mm-hmm. are some investments where I look at the vehicle and like what specifically is happening. Like obviously with, we do due diligence on every company we invest in, but um, it really is about the person. 
because for me too, when I look at angel investing, there's obviously risk involved in every investment. And so a lot of it comes back to ethos, to, to is it values aligned, to what impact will this have? A lot of the time it's gaps that exist that formerly wouldn't have been invested in. Um, and it's been a really rewarding process. But for me, it's really informal, my checklist of things. Um, and it comes- I've heard that from a lot of investors, though. It has a lot to do with the founder, right? Yeah. With the founder. And I think because I was in so many toxic work environments, like a lot of it comes back to, are you a good human and will you treat your team well? Because I right. understand that like profit is important here. However, mm-hmm. it's not what drives me fully. It's what is like the ethics and integrity behind the the work that, or the community that you're going to mm-hmm. build when it comes to your company as well. Because mm-hmm. the product, you know, the risk is huge there. But at least like you also know that you're not, you know, demoralizing humans along the way, which mm-hmm. has become yeah. an important thing for me. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh, it's this been so nice chatting with you today. I feel, I feel like I wish you were in person, like having a cup of tea. And yeah, we'll have to, since we're both in Canada, we'll have to do that at, at one point. But I think, you know, in, in closing, if there is kind of one message on on this day of, of equality to share, you know, what what do you think women around the world need to hear right now? Lean into your identity and the intersections of who you are. I experienced, you know, white feminism and I experienced what it looks like to be in spaces where we don't fully belong necessarily as specifically women of color. But for all of us, lean into who you are, lean into your identities, really define your values and what you stand for and be really mindful of the spaces you choose to engage with um, and ensure that they are values aligned because what you have to Mm -hmm. offer is truly unparalleled to everyone listening, like what you have to offer with wherever you show up, whether it's your work, whether it's, you know, companies you're investing in, whether it's documentaries, you're like you matter and what you have to give to the world is so important. So make sure the people who are meeting you there, who you're working with, who you're showing up with are values aligned and are worth your time. And that comes from really knowing who you are and unpacking Mm -hmm. and understanding your identity and your values. You, you have such a calming presence. (laughs) Thank you. I know some people are like, I listen to your podcast when I need to relax before bed. I know. I was just like, (laughs) yes, everything you're saying. Yes. Well, no, and what a great true note to end on. Is there any organizations out there that you think are doing great work when it comes to women's equality and specifically with women of color that you want to mention that maybe we should all have a look at? One that I am... Uh, recently engaged with that I've been loving the work that they're doing is called Girls 20. And so it's an organization that uh, works alongside the G20 gatherings and brings together girls from around the world and women from around the world to convene in tandem with the G20 meetings. Um, But just the the young women that you learn their stories about, um, the impacts that they want to have, the social enterprises or businesses that they want to build. There's just such a beautiful community that they've developed there. And the global perspective is something I really value because we can become so North America centric in our day-to-day lives Mm. that engaging with an organization like Girls 20 just allows you to open up your narrow focus and remember like what is happening in the world and the way Mm. that women and girls are showing up. And you can't help but feel both inspired and further motivated to keep on your path of impact and work as well. 
Mm-hmm. I'll have to check them out and we'll put them in the show notes here too as well. God, well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Kamal. It's been such a pleasure and we'll continue the conversation online and honestly, hopefully in person one day soon too. I hope so too. I'm excited for that. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning into this conversation. We will have a brand new one on a brand new topic every Monday. If you were intrigued by anything in our conversation, we encourage you to talk about it. Tell a friend, post on social media, take action in your very own way. Subscribe to get the newest episode at your fingertips as soon as it drops. Until next time, check out Style Canada, a disruptor in the media for its community of inquisitive style seekers. You can find us at style.ca or on social media. Just like this podcast, Style Canada is not just about style. It's about living a lifestyle that leaves people open to evolution and opportunity. This episode was hosted by Elise Gasparino, produced and edited by Alia Ballas. The music credit goes to Raspberry Music and was brought to you by Style Canada.